Today's scripture reading comes from the first book of Timothy, chapters 3, verses 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. This is the word of the Lord. This is uh, part five. It's the last of our messages on this series, um, The Household of God, where we have been training you to think about you know, what the structure of church looks like, and particularly uh, we have been doing, you know, training you for a very practical and important, uh, important thing that we're going to do, which is to raise up our first set of elder candidates, and um, we'll make our church more full and more whole. And so um, I want to close with a message really about what, what kind of a, what church leadership and how important it is. But it's not just as our brother prayed about just church leadership. It really is a vision of leadership. It's a vision of leadership itself. And I hope you can begin to see it, it is a grand and incredible and noble and glorious calling. And I don't think that people understand that um, today that as people have, you know, stopped going to church and indeed really dump on the church, there's a, there's a great disdain for church, as we call organized religion. Um, and, and some of you have been with me for a while. You know, I, whenever I hear that, I always think there's a tremendous hypocrisy. It's like nobody goes around saying, I, I, you know, I, I, I only like education, but I don't like organized education, <laughs> you know. I like, uh, I like shopping for food, but I don't like organized shopping for food. I mean, I don't like institutional food shopping. I mean, like, what are you talking about? If it's important, if it really, really matters, of course it should be structured. It should be organized. There should be a plan. And for sure, there's a lot of failure. But it's not just failure inside the church. Human beings fail. <laughs> we have institutionalized political leadership. It's failing. <laughs> All right? And, of course, we're really angry about that, too. But um, today, I hope that this kind of message will help you see that there's a better way to think about leadership. And as, the, as, our, as our culture and our society has become very angry and cynical about leaders, all kinds of leaders. And we, it's, it's making the, the difficult and challenging task of leading and shepherding um, practically impossible. It's becoming really, really impossible. And so sometimes we think... You know, our society is so bad because our leaders are so bad. But maybe our societies are so bad, our society is so bad because the people hate all forms of authority and real leadership, and the people who are supposed to be following the leaders, maybe we're bad. And that's really kind of where I feel like we need to talk about that today, and we need to be a different kind of community about how we think about leadership, how we approach leadership, and how we raise up leaders. And I want to close our message on how the gospel heals cynicism, anger, hatred, suspicion, distrust, discord, division, all these things that are that's these cancers that are rife in our hearts, in our society, in all our institutions, and especially just are, are, it's, it's really raw and um, pointed, especially in this in this lockdown COVID season. Okay, so let's get into it. Three parts. Part one. The black darkness of honorless anti-authority. <laughs> like, I know that's kind of like a, that's a mouthful. The black, not just darkness, black darkness. I think it's dark, dark, black darkness that we're in today. Of honorless anti-authority. It's a big part of the darkness. We have a spirit of anti-authority. And then there's no honor. And because there's no honor, there's only curse and and bile and distrust, it's making everybody so upset and angry and unhappy and impatient, okay? Part two, 
The honorable calling of the elder. It's filled with honor. Or it says should be filled with honor. And I hope that in our church, we will be the kind of community that will not only you come in and there will be honor for the kind of leadership we believe in and we practice and the kind of leaders that I hope we will raise. And we will have an incredibly joyful day when we ordain our first set of elders. And, and then it'll be just joyful week in and week out after that because we have such great shepherds and leaders. We gladly want to follow them and it makes everybody flourish. Um, and so, but I want to talk about that, the honorable calling of the elder. And then, of course, I want to close with the most important leading of all, which is how we are going to get these, this really good kind of eldership and leading. And that is the beautiful leadership from the cross. Right? That's where the best and most important leadership, the healing leadership of Jesus, the beautiful leadership of the cross. So part one, um, I've already alluded to this. Well, let, 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 well, let's get the verse that I'm, I'm really, I really want to sit in on today. It's, it's a short verse. And here's what it says. Chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, and I've already taught you, overseer, um, pastor, elder, um, teacher. In the Bible, they all refer to the one same office. So we're talking about elder. And elders are, are not only pastors, um, but they're shepherds. And so, you know, we're, that's what we're looking to do. Raise up our first set of kind of like non-pastor, te- non-teaching, uh, you know, not they will teach too, but um, we call them the ruling elders in, in our church. And um, if anyone aspires to that office, he desires a noble task. So in the Greek, that word noble is kalos. It means good, very good. Something worthy, not just like, you know, the hamburger tastes good. <laughs> That's not what we mean. We mean something so beautiful, something that we praise, something that we're so glad is, is, is high, is noble. And it says this, the beginning, this, this saying is trustworthy. It's, it's a, that word for trustworthy is the same word in Greek that is this word is of faith. This word is faith. This word is, a, a, is worth of your faith. It's, it's a really strong statement. And so I know that we've been talking about these practical things. And, we, and last week we had a kind of big message where we unpacked all these different attributes and qualifications of the elder. But I, I, today I really want to talk about this, this issue that the office of the elder, the kind of leadership, the leader that we, you know, the kind of leadership that the office calls for, and then the man who fills that role, um, that task is truly noble. Now, let's just stop for a moment. And, um, do you have any idea what noble is? And um, so I often feel like a man outside of my time when we talk about things like n- noble, honor, <laughs> honorable. Um, I, I'm I, I don't know if it's because I'm of, of Korean descent or something like this. Koreans are really honor-driven people. Um, I don't think every culture cares about honor equally. Uh, Koreans care about it like, to, to like some really deep nth degree. I'm not sure if that's part of it, but I know I, I'm definitely I'm big on honor, and I really care about that which is noble, that which is, should be exalted. When I was a, a, a kid... Um, when I was a kid, I'd watch uh, kung fu movies. <laughs> you guys have watched kung fu movies? And um, well, what happened is some despicable person would kill a noble and honorable man who might not have been rich and who might not have been powerful, but he taught other men, you know, the art of kung fu, you know? And it wasn't just about how to fight. It was about really how to be a better man how to protect the weak and the poor. And then some despicable man would kill that man. And then really, the rest of the movie is about, um, is about fixing or really kind of is really getting justice for that horrible piece of dishonor. And thus we could recover that which is truly honorable and noble back into our life and our community. Without this, we, we become a lost people. 
Um, you, and maybe for you guys are a little bit later, there's a movie called The Princess Bride. <laughs> and uh, one of the, the, there's a character in there named Inigo Montoya. And he wants to find the man who murdered his father. And his father was a truly noble, honorable man. And he goes, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. <laughs> Prepare to die. You know, and he trains his whole life to get, well, it's actually a kind of vengeance. Um, but really, here it is, this question of honor and nobility. And we live in an age where um, everything is so, you know, it's, it's so expedient. Um, we almost don't care if, if, if is our, does our, is our leader noble? <laughs> Do you care if the leader is noble and if he is honorable and if his work is, done, is, his work is honorable? Let me ask you this question. Is your, if you probably, many of you work for some company or another, and so you have, you know, you have your manager and then you have like, I don't know, the director above you, that manager, and then maybe you have, uh, an ex- you know, a vice president, and then you have, like, the, the top boss, the CEO, right? Right? And do you think of their job as a noble task? That's what it says here. Do you think of it that way? And would you call that person an honorable person, an honorable work? But it, don't we regularly, habitually just think their job is to get our product out there and to make Money. <laughs> that's that's what really what we're here just here for. And then we are we are we are the cogs in the machinery to make everything a lot more efficient. So I, you know I work the social media more efficient. Get that get more and more views and more and more clicks. I you know I'm on HR. This person is 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 problematic. Let's get rid of that person and replace them with a better person. And it's all about like efficiency and profit lines. And then there's a secondary thing. It's like, well, then I want to get up and I'll get promoted. Then I will make more money. And then I will have more status. And then I will have more power. And then, and, then I'll, and then I can get away from work and then I can kind of do what I really care about. And I'm not saying you all think this way, but don't a lot of people think this way? Maybe you do think this way. <laughs> and, and if you don't think this way, do you feel frustrated? Do you feel frustrated that... So many people around you feel this way. I get frustrated all the time. Um, I, I, I watch, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, so the Oakland A's, which is my favorite team, <laughs> they lost to the Houston Astros this week. None of you probably watched it, so you don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, but I don't know if you know this, but the Houston Astros are cheaters. Now, I don't know if they cheated this year, but they, they won the World Series through cheating. And the, the top boss of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, um, he punished the Houston Astros. But the punishment to me was like this. Bad. You guys were bad. We'll fire a couple of you guys, find you some money. And they're super rich. So, you know, the money was kind of like saying, hand me $5 or something. I mean, you know, like, you know, half a million dollars to really rich people is like, hand me $5 and we'll slap you on the wrist. But they grasp after the highest prize through cheating. Unbelievably dishonorable. And it was obvious to me, you know what you should do? Take away the World Series. <laughs> Take away the World Series. But if they did that, you know what will happen? The lawyers will come out. There will be lawsuits. And the man who is the leader who is de- defending the, 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 the integrity of the competition, this is the absolute integrity of the sport and the competition. And, but because one of the other owners is very rich and powerful, or five of the other owners, or whatever, five out of the 30 owners, or whatever, rich and powerful, will then fight back against him because they'll lose money or whatever, he gave this completely ridiculous solution. And then he came out and said, well, now we're just going to get, you know, Major League Baseball. The whole industry back on track. I don't know if that's a good illustration for you, but if you care about baseball, and I do, <laughs> it was horrible. It was completely horrible. It made me actually maybe not want to watch any more baseball. 
I'm just going, I'm just, the only baseball I'm going to watch is, is at the Little League field. <laughs> I started thinking about this, like no more Oakland A's, no more Major League Baseball. I'm only going to watch Little League Baseball. They play real baseball. They play with honor, you know? And I regularly feel like this completely weird human being in this culture that never cares about anything more than your relative power, lawsuits, money. Do I get ahead? Do I get, get uh, well, if I have to deal with this thing like honor, morality, integrity, honor, honor, you know, then that's just too much hassle. That's just too much hassle. And our whole culture is just there. And then, let me, and then let's let me link it to the next part. Um, we all don't like authority. We hate authority. Anti-authority. And so a leader is kind of a necessary evil. It's a person who is above us and has some more power. They got there before us or whatever. And so if I don't obey this person, I get fired. If I don't go along with this person, I, I lose my job. Or if I don't go, go, go along, then other people will think I'm a jerk or something. But we don't actually go, what this person is seeking to do to lead us is something honorable and good. And their job is hard. And we should have some understanding. And I should try my best to make the whole purpose of it flourish and get better. And instead... We tend to do things like this. Somebody crosses us, or we get one bad experience of, of authority and leadership. And let me ask you, how long does it take before you get a bad experience of authority and leadership? Very, very short, you know. Uh, we had a brother who um, shared about his life, and he had a really bad third grade teacher. Third grade teacher! Third grade teacher! And, and from his mind, and his friends really thought that the third grade teacher kind of had, had it out against him. And now he hated his teacher. <laughs> I, you know, I, I loved my third grade teacher, so that's like, this a strange, it's a strange, uh, but it could happen, and it does happen. And maybe it happened to you. Maybe it didn't happen in third grade. Maybe it was your basketball coach. Maybe... It was your history teacher. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was your dad. There are many people today that had a horrible father. And thus, now, they don't trust any fathers. They don't trust any fathers. We have a bad leader, and thus now we attribute bad expectations, and cynicism upon all other versions of that same office. So, I had a bad father. All men are bad. All men are horrible. There are a lot of angry people today. There are men who hate fathers. They hate their dad. So they, that's one of the reasons why they couldn't obey their coach, why they couldn't obey their teacher, why they keep getting fired because they had a bad father. And um, so just, just, just think along, along the line. But if you have a bad experience of a leader in your life, should you become anti-authority? Should you become anti-authority? Let me just ask you a different question. Have you ever had a good leader? Someone ever really taught you not just because it was their job, but because they really cared that you learned the material. Or they really cared about you and that you learned the material, and the material would make you flourish. How about that? You know, you, the, average, the average kindergarten teacher is like that, actually. <laughs> you know, most kindergarten teachers are, are beautiful people. They don't just care about the material, they care about the child. My first grade teacher, she's... She was such a beautiful person. I loved school, okay? I loved going to school because I just wanted to bask in her, in, her, in, her, in her love, in her care, in her joy. And I lived in a poor neighborhood. She was white. 
my neighborhood was almost all black. There was like, it was like the kid, there was like 30 kids in the class, 27 kids black, one kid white, one Chinese kid, one Korean kid. That, that was me. And there was this white lady in a poor neighborhood. She came with great joy and love. And she made school. Every kid adored her. First grade was wonderful. <laughs> it was wonderful. And I live in a poor neighborhood, you know? Occasionally some, you know, some, you know, jerky, jerky kid would say some racist junk to me, but mostly that was great leadership. And of course I had some bad teachers too. But because I have some bad teacher, should I now say that all teachers are bad? And today that is incredibly common. That is incredibly common. And it is incredibly common inside the church. Or it's incredibly common outside the church, toward the church. And it's incredibly common toward outside, um, inside the church toward all pastors or all elders. I, I, I grew up in a Korean church. I can't even tell you how many bad elders I've encountered. And, and a lot of the pastors, most of them were, at least they tried to be good. And some percentage of them were bad. They were bad at their job, or they were like bad people. But unfortunately, thank, I mean, thankfully, they were a small percentage. And, but I would say the Korean Presbyterian churches that I grew up in, they were just atrocious at raising up qualified elders. And so it was like one out of two was decent. The other guy was not qualified or just sometimes bad. It's pretty regular. And yet here it says, it is a noble calling. Noble calling. That's God's, what God's word says. And I could have very well grown up. And so what, I, what I'm trying to get you to see is I could have very well grown up and I, I, could, I literally have faces and men that I can think of that have stolen from the church, <laughs> that have lied and taught bad doctrine, that have manipulated people, that have torn down pastors' reputations. I'm not making this up. Uh, these aren't other churches I've been to. These are churches I, I've been in and I grew up in. My, my father is an elder and he had to deal with this guy who, was, who probably should have gone to jail in his own church. And so that's, that's kind of like what it's like to be the son of an elder. You get to kind of find out about some of the really nasty dirt that happens inside church. When the elder is not noble, <laughs> You know, he's like, you know, you, you, you always, like in the Kung Fu movie, he's the one who should die at the end of the movie, okay? Like, that's what I like. He's like, okay, if happy ending, he would die at the end of the movie. And yet, so here's what I want to ask you. We're talking about something really important, shepherding and elders, and wielding power and authority inside the church. And if you have a bad attitude about this because you think all the people who do this only want power, only want to steal money. They're going to do, do you bad because that has been experience that has happened to you. I, I, want, to, I want to ask you to stop. Please stop and think. Is that reasonable? If someone is bad, can you attribute that one experience and then now generalize to the whole category? Can you do that? Is that fair? Is that, is that sensible? And if you're doing that because, I mean, and I get it, you're, you're, you're filled with hurt. The son, if, if there's a daughter and she was um, molested by her, her dad, you can understand she might be afraid of men and suspicious of all fathers. But, and she's deeply wounded, but she has to, you know, arise and think, it's, it, can, it absolutely cannot be true that all fathers are bad. And she cannot generalize a horrible experience and tremendously horrible at that to the whole, to the whole class. And if we do, we are in black, black darkness. We are, we're just completely lost. And now this is just this spirit. It's like a, the anti-leadership spirit inside the church. There's so many people today that if you meet them, and maybe if you're joining us today, or maybe you're on our live stream, you're joining us today, and you think... Oh, these guys are going to raise up elders. Aren't those guys just all liars? Aren't those guys just, they just manipulate people to get money? 
something like this. Let me say to you, no, you're wrong. And if you have that attitude, there's a horrible poison inside of you. And it's sin. And if you say that, all pastors are like this. All elders are like this. All whatever. And you just have this, this dark, cynical attitude of great suspicion and distrust. And there's horrible cancer inside your soul. And if it comes out of your mouth, now you're putting the cancer in other people's souls. And you're poisoning our society. And this thing is coming, it's, it's inside the church. It's against the church. But it's in all kinds of places now. Of course, it's in our politics. It's in our politics. Our, culti- our politics, it, it's a sewer. <laughs> it's, it's, it's horrible, okay? But we need good leadership. We need real political leadership. We need men and women of integrity. We need people who care about the Constitution. We need people who will... Not just say, well, that fight's not, or that's going to be too much hassle. If I do that, then I'll just end up on social media, and then, then, then you know, then that, the right-wing group will hate my guts, or the left-wing group will hate my guts, and then that's just it. It's not worth it. The Rob Manfred way. <laughs> is, that, is that the kind of senators and governors and presidents that we need? No. No. We need someone who aspires to a noble task, a noble calling, and will pay the price, and will even maybe go down if the whole society is so cancer-filled, they will fight the cancer, and if they lose, well, they'll say, you know what, if I lose, I lose. But we're going to fight for it. And in this church, we're going to call forth the noble calling. And brothers and sisters, I, I, please pray, please fast, Pray really hard that the Holy Spirit will lead us to those who will see this as unbelievably precious. And they will be willing to die and fight and bleed. So the most precious reality of the gospel, the Holy Spirit will reign in our church and then their influence and they'll use their power wisely and we will say, noble, honorable, we honor you, we honor your calling We are so, it's like church will be like my first grade. (laughs) You'll come to church so happy because the elders will be like that. You just can't, just can't, like, of course there'll be some jerks and, okay, you're acting like a jerk. But but, but our our leaders, look, this is what they do, how they lead us. So that's part one. Brothers and sisters, let's push back against no honor, anti-authority, and not end up in the black cancer. Please, please. It's, it's swallowing up our society. It's in our social media. It's just so much anger. There's so much suspicion. And there's immediate knee-jerk reaction. Oh, that, that, that's just this. That's just this. It's just about, that's just manipulation. But there isn't, to go, go into the complexity and the, into the gray and to find the light, to find the noble, to find the honorable. Part two, I want to just go over some things that make the calling of the elder truly noble. The calling of, the honorable calling of the elder. And I want to just say some things about this, okay? Um, The world is a depraved place, and human beings are regularly depraved. (laughs) And um, I I don't know if you think like this. You're a person who maybe doesn't think about the devil. I actually now regularly think about the demonic and the devil because I actually just feel like the power and influence of the demonic is pretty regularly seen and felt in our culture. And I don't know, I'm not trying to be like sensational. I'm not one of these like, but I, I, I think that's pretty common. And the horrible hatred and the absolute inability that we can't even just have sensible discourse, political discourse, or you are made to feel afraid if you have a different point of view than your coworkers, or in your class, or in your university. I think, I think that's demonic. Or that that person doesn't have the same religion as you, or the same political party as you, and thus you can't have a civil, intelligent, honest, reasoned conversation, and then still have a beer and still love each other and laugh. 
That's possible, brothers and sisters. It's possible. It, was, it used to be relatively normal, but it's now normal fear, hatred, condemnation, accusation. It's demonic. And um, so one of the things that the elders does, so I'm going to go through a, a number of things that are in the calling of the elder. The pastor, the lay elder, they work together. They're all elders. This is what they do. And here's the first thing that they do. They must fight and take on the demonic. And they must get shot at by the arrows of the devil. And they get shot. So um, I want to be careful here. I, I don't really want to make it sound like here, here's a guy who's a pastor. Or here he is boasting and praising his job, <laughs> telling everybody that his job is like so important. But um, I hope you guys know it's pretty important. But I'm not sure if any of you, if you haven't been a pastor, you might not really quite uh, uh, know that. It's not a theory that the elders, those who lead the church, the gospel gets shot at by the devil. And it's not just whoo, whoo, whoo. It's like, <laughs> and the devil uses um, people outside the church to shoot at you. They use people inside the church to shoot at you. They use your friends. He uses your friends to shoot at you. And I don't want to get overly dramatic here, but I've been shot at by all those camps. And I have felt those arrows. And it does make you bleed. And all around our society, you know, when pastors get together, sometimes this is their, their conversation. The pastors that, that are some of my friends, when we get together, something like this will come up. And then there's only, like, there's a couple of different reactions. One is black humor. People make dark jokes about this, and we laugh. And, like, all the men in the room kind of know what it's like to have helped somebody in their marriage, and then you busted your butt to help save their marriage, and then the husband stabs you in the back a year later. That's pretty normal. It's actually pretty common. And most everybody who's been an elder, I know ruling elders and pastors, that one's, that one's pretty common. If you've done this job for a while, it's pretty common. And I don't know if you know this, uh, this past week, one of my good friends, Michael Chung, sent me a text. So we're, like, I mean, we're, here, we're kind of in this, you know, me and a couple of our friends, he's, you know, he's one of them. He sends a text when he, he sees something kind of alarming in, in our circles, and one of the things he's been talking about is in this COVID season, churches are, are, are dropping and closing up shop. So one of the pastors that we knew, we're not super close to him, but we know him. We know him to be a good pastor. He started a church plant. We're a church plant. And apparently um, that pastor tweeted that they're, they're closing down. And all around the country, um, men are utterly discouraged and they're quitting ministry. And there's so many pastors that are so discouraged. And part of it is this. They've been, after you get shot at a few times and you bleed, 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 sometimes you just can't come back for another round. And so first reason why it's honorable and deserving of honor is because it's dangerous. It takes courage. In order to be an elder, you have to be able to come back. You have to be able to heal. You have to then, now you have to do what the gospel calls, which is forgive. And then forgive again. And then forgive again. Trust me, pastors and elders learn, forgive seven times 70. And if you can't learn how to forgive seven times 70 as Jesus forgives, you won't be able to do it for long. You'll quit. So the devil gets shot at and we have to learn forgiveness and healing. First one. I mean, the second one, our work is eternal work. <laughs> what we do lasts forever. So this is why it's a small church. It's a rinky-dink little church. Nobody knows it. 
The people in their community, inside the church are poor. They look dirty. They don't look responsible. The world looks at them and say, well, those are the stupid people. Those are the backwards people. Those are the uneducated people. They're the needy people. That's why they do church. But in the world, whatever you build, it'll end. And I, I, okay, I don't want to be too overly mean about this, but let's, let's, you ever been on, in your company and you work really, really, really hard on a project and then two business cycles later, your project is, you know, they, they, they get rid of it. <laughs> or two years later, your product is obsolete. Just obsolete. Has that ever happened to you? And if you're in Silicon Valley, I'm pretty sure it's probably happened to you, right? But this work, this sowing, this leading, it lasts forever. So that's why the church can be, quote unquote, dumpy, little, small, poor, no respect in the world. But that child who gets lit up by Jesus, led and shepherded by the elders, that glory will last forever. That'll last, that last forever. That's the drama. <laughs> that's the drama that's going on. I, I love the, the, the little kids' Sunday school teachers. In our church, and, and I've said this before, but I'm, it's worth saying again, there's no such thing. Look, that is not cute ministry. That's not babysitting. We've been desperate to get the children's ministry back. Why? It's, it's, it's great ministry. And so the elders help unleash that. They shepherd that eternal work. Um, third one, we don't just build churches. We are agents, our churches, and then we send people, and then we've sent a vision of life and creation and history, and it's God's plan and God's blessing, and that the church goes and blesses all of creation. So we don't just build churches, we are agents to push back the curse of sin and death on the whole earth. So my, um, I, I quoted this to you a number of years ago when I gave a similar sermon and I re-listened to this, so I was like, oh, I quoted him. I want to give this quote again. Um, my mentor, Rod Miles, he's a pastor at Grace Marin, north of San Francisco. This way I put it, we push Eden to the ends of the world. We push Eden to the ends of the world. So if everybody gets cynical and everybody's just out for A number one, no way can the elders accept that. No. The elders say we are called by the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd and his goal is to push Eden to the ends of the world and then his under shepherds, the elders, they're called to do that and call their people to do that. How about this one? The church is the greatest community, the greatest counterculture, the greatest mission there is, and it lasts forever. So, we have incredibly lonely souls in our society. Everybody's an autonomous individual. I own myself. I rule myself. I save myself. Nobody can tell me what to do. Nobody can shape me. I, I, I define my own identity. If you know if we do that, there'll be no community. <laughs> It'll just be everybody... You know, it's sort of like dog eat dog, every man for himself, every woman for herself. And um, it's, it's a Hobbesian world. Thomas Hobbes, is it Thomas? You know, famous philosopher, he talked about the natural state of man is this. It's, it's, it is this war of man against man. Selfishness upon selfishness. And how do you get real community, beautiful community, compelling community? And so when we talk about the greatest community, we break down rich from poor. We break down white from black. We break down outsider from insider. We break down the prideful against the lowly. We use the gospel to say, if you're prideful and you think you're so great on yourself, you know how we will humble you? Through the gospel. <laughs> we'll share the gospel with you. We will live inside of the beautiful humility of the gospel and then the prideful start to get a clue and they're saying, this isn't the right way, is it? My way is not a good way. But then there are people who walk in lowly. They feel like they're nothing. They're broken down. The world is always telling them they're nothing. But you know, 
they get exalted and raised up by the shepherd with the gospel. And the gospel says you were nothing. In fact, you failed and you deserved death and condemnation and eternal damnation. But the Son of God saw fit to lift you up from the miry low and make you wonderful. That's happening inside the church all the time. And the elders, we, we are the ones that push that vision forward. And so to the, to the prideful, we say, mm, that guy needs a big dose of humility. And how do we do it? We beat him up? <laughs> we knock him down? No. We try to offer him a more compelling way through the gospel. And those broken down, we lift them up. We encourage them. We build them up. And this thing, this, this, this community, this family, is a completely normal thing. The rich person not looking down on the poor person. The black person not excluding the white person. Or the white person not excluding the black person. And we become a newer and better kind of community. It's an honorable task. Um, let me offer a couple more. We serve eternal glories. So all the other companies, they serve things like this. All the other endeavors and all the other leaders, they're generally seeking fame, power, some kind of worldly glory that will go, that will hear today. The Houston Astros, we're going to get the World Series. They're cheating. <laughs> and then, but that glory will be gone. And, and then, of course, if you keep cheating, then nobody will stop caring about that glory and people will stop watching baseball. Like a tremendous baseball lover like me stop caring about the World Series because there's no honor. But the elders, we chase after better glories, deeper glories. Listen, we chase after holiness, beauty, justice, mercy, love. Even better, eternal holiness. Everlasting beauty. Justice that will finally have the last, last word. Mercy that will reach the deepest, deepest hurt. You know, it's, in, in an average church, a person could be suicidal. And the elders sow the gospel. And the person will go from the brink of killing themselves and regular bouts of depression and self-hatred and then a year later or two years later or five years later, they become a joyful and full and wonderful human being. You know, that, that's not a special church that can do that. You know what? That's a normal church. It's a biblical church. You don't have to be a super elder to save the suicidal. You know what happens? You just have to be a First Timothy 3, a qualified, truly a shepherd that's Shepherds people to the chief shepherd. Hmm. I'm talking about one more. Um, well, actually, I just said it. We renovate <laughs> the deeply broken human beings from death and curse and destruction, including self-destruction. So all these things are part of what make this calling so wonderful and worthy. And I hope that um, all of you will think it's so important that we raise up these kinds of elders. Please, please. And when we have them, I hope it will be like my first grade. <laughs> I would love for people to come to Revive Church. And it's like Stige School, first grade in 1977, okay? In Mrs. Flasher's class. But better. A lot better. I want to close by um, pointing out something to you. I want to teach you a little something about how to read the Bible. The Bible is a book that's alive. Its words really, really matter. Its words will matter when everybody thinks it doesn't matter. And so, um, you ever bought a, a $50 or $100 textbook in college? Is your textbook, those words still matter? If you bought a $100 textbook in college that's about this thick, you know what's worth now? It's worth nothing, <laughs> okay? You, you might as well just, just now you can use it for a fire log. But that's so with the Bible. I want to teach you something about how to read the Bible. And this is the one I want to close. This is a passage about leadership. 
And in the world, there's all these hopes. Do you know how many books there are about leadership? How many books there are about, like, about, about rallying people and what it means to be a good leader? These books are endless, endless, endless. It goes on and on and on. And yet, um, in these few verses, we get words that will outlast all the bestsellers that keep going on and on and on in all the bookshelves. The philipamazon.com and whatever. And I want to show you how to read this. There are words, whenever you're talking about something that we hope for, we long for, we're always looking, then we immediately think about all the examples that we know and then our wisdom and our way of how to attain those good things and then we think we are wise, we know how to do it. But actually, if we immediately think about the world and the human ways and the human standards and the human righteousness, then we're lost. That's all the world knows how to do. That's, all, that's secularity to a T. But God's word, even if it doesn't say Jesus there, even if it doesn't say the gospel colors everything, it lights up everything in the Bible. Every word that's of all of God's word, the true light of the words of all of God's word is Jesus himself. So Jesus is there all the time. And so here's the way I want to close this. So you, you see this thing, and if you can't see Jesus, if you can't long for Jesus, if you can't see that the words always point to the hope and the answer, who is the glory of Christ, then you're not getting it. So I want to close by talking to you, giving you the gospel by 1 Timothy 3. Okay, here we go. So, oh, wind blew it next, all right. An overseer must be above reproach. We immediately start thinking about, oh, God, oh, this is God. But, but you know what? There's somebody who's absolutely pure and utterly. He's not just above reproach. He's so much higher above reproach. He's as high as high can possibly be above reproach. It's Jesus. He must be the husband of one wife. He loved a horrible bride, the church, who's adulterous and cheats on him. Cheats on him and causes him to die. And he's utterly faithful. The ultimate faithful husband, Jesus. He must be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Okay, I think we respect him. And we all know Jesus is self-controlled. How about the Self-controlled. Here's self-control. These horrible, disgusting people nail you up on the cross. They spit on your face. They mock you. They put nails. And in one snap, you can just burn them all up. They deserve it. They absolutely deserve it. That's kind of why I'm watching a kung fu movie. Death. <laughs> I'm just like rooting for the death. Inigo Montoya, kill that guy. <laughs> but here's the ultimate self-control. Jesus says, Father, please forgive them. For they do not know what they do. Wow. That's our Jesus. That's leadership. Hospitable. You go into his house. And you just bring in your stench and your guilt and your shame and your lying. And you don't belong at all. And he welcomes you. He says, don't worry, I'll clean you. My blood will wash you. You're welcome into my house. In fact, make yourself at home. Let me give you my name. Let me give you my sonship. And my father now will be your father. And let me, here's my seat, the seat of the son. You can sit in that seat. It's your seat. Hospitable. This is leadership from the cross. This is the ultimate leadership. And all elders worth their salt. They will chase after this. Of course, we will fall short. We will not be as hospitable, but we'll try to be this, we'll try to be this kind of hospitable. We will not be as self-controlled, but we'll try to be that kind of self-controlled. And I hope we will 
aspire for, to be of approach. But when we fail, then we'll receive the cleansing blood of Jesus and repent. And thus he'll be glorified all over again. So that the ultimate leader in our church will be Jesus. Jesus, the great, great leadership from the cross. And then we'll have boys and girls. We'll have a young woman who will grow up and she will become the CEO of her company. And she'll say, I know how to be a leader. The elders in my church showed me. That's the way I'm going to run my company. We'll have a, a young man who will become mayor. He goes, well, the elders showed me leadership from the cross. I know how to be a mayor. That's the way I'm going to be. There's, no, there's not, not some Republican standard, not some Democrat standard. Jesus' way from the cross. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, this is so missing, so lacking. And yet, to this utterly poverty-stricken, cancerous, horrible people that we are, this horrible culture that we are, you don't just give us a leader, you give us leadership. You give us leadership from the ultimate leader. And you give us leadership that can bring us back from death and curse and from our own cynicism and our own wretchedness. And you can make that which is ugly and that which is black and dark light and beautiful and glorious and joyful. And we pray, Lord, that Revived Church will be this absolutely blazing light of joy. And it will flow out of the ultimate leader, you, Lord Jesus, through your appointed lieutenants, the elders. And all your people will joyfully come to church and bask in your kind of leadership. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.